everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that's all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want to wave hello and give a big virtual squeeze to all of our new superstar awesomes who joined us after last week's episode, episode 211, the awesome overflow of summer 2019. Like I said in that episode, one of the perks of becoming one of our superstar supporters is on Patreon is that you get access to our awesome overflow episodes every month. It's kind of like a newsletter of what we're up to only instead of it bogging down your inbox, you can just plug in your earbuds and listen to it. So that's one of several perks that we offer to our superstars. We also have created an exclusive hangout community on Facebook for our superstars where you can kind of come and have a little bit more of a private hangout experience. We get a little bit deeper into conversation over there. We talk about behind the scenes show stuff, all kinds of fun stuff in there. And all of that is available for just $5 a month on Patreon when you become a superstar supporter. So if you've been deliberating, if you've been thinking that you might want to check it out, now is a great time to do that. And it's so so easy to get signed up. All you got to do is go over to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. All right. Well, like I said, friends, this is episode 212 of Sorta Awesome. I am so excited to welcome back to the podcast, one of our regulars on the podcast, my very dear longtime friend and also sister, Emily Harris. Emily, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. I'm back. You're back because... Last spring, we released an episode, episode 191. It came out in the middle of April last spring, and we called it Something Bad Happened. And the idea behind it was is we're going to be talking about true crime, but do it in a way that's for more sensitive people like myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Emily, you are the perfect person to come and talk about something bad happening because you are quite the true crime aficionado. Is that correct? I feel like I am. I feel like it's turning into obsession. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Like what does it say about me? It, do you I feel think like I've you- said that before. <laughs> what does it say about me that I love true crime so much? Well, listen, obviously you are not the only one because yes. true crime is everywhere in every genre of media right now, whether it's podcasts or um, blogs or certainly on Reddit. Have you ever gone on the true crime Reddit? Subreddit? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I have. In fact, I have a tab open right now <laughs> on Reddit Perfect. about my case that I'm going to talk about. So, yeah. Yes. And there's documentaries. And, and I know you're going to tell us about some of the documentaries that you have loved in the true crime genre here in just a little bit. Um, but yeah, like, People are super into true crime and we have more access to these cases than ever before, which is very fascinating, but it kind of poses a problem for those of us, you know, like me, I've talked about many times on Sort of Awesome being a highly sensitive person and sometimes 
getting too deep into these cases is very disturbing for me. So as you and I, we talked about this in episode 191, but we were just kind of like talking back and forth on some true crime stuff. And I said, I just love it when you tell me what's happening in these cases, because then I don't, don't get all freaked out and disturbed and upset. You just tell it to me in a way that I can handle. Right. And that's when that episode was born. Yeah, Absolutely. So we both have a couple of cases. Well, it, we each have a case we're going to talk about um, in just a little bit. We're going to talk about it in a way that is very um, open, even for sensitive people to listen to. And we've got some great resources that we're going to direct you to if you want to do more of a deep dive into either of these cases. So we're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It's that moment in the show where we take just a little bit of time to talk about whatever's awesome in life, whether it is movies or music, podcasts, TV shows, products, whatever's going on that's awesome. So Emily, can't wait to hear what you brought for the show today. Okay. I am very excited to tell you that my Awesome of the Week is $3. Oh, nice. $3. Okay. $3. It has a okay. long name. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's Trader Joe's nice. French French Market Sparkling French Berry Lemonade. Mm. And it is delicious. That sounds so good. It, <laughs> it is. It really does. It's, it's quite a, a mouthful. I know, right? Yes. It is a whopping 33-ounce beverage. It comes wow. in a glass bottle. It honestly looks like a wine bottle. Okay. Uh, which is interesting because I don't drink, but I did bring yes. it to school the other day and I brought <laughs> it into the teacher's lounge and they were like, man, Emily having a hard year. <laughs> I was like, I know the only thing I need is a paper bag around this, but I love it because, um, you know, it's got the strawberry, you know, like notes of strawberry, um, the tartness of the lemonade and it's sweet, but it's not too sweet. Right. I don't know if right. you've ever noticed that about like, Trader Joe's cookies or anything like they have more mm -hmm. flavor than they do. Yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, it's great. Um, so I know how much you love Trader Joe's and I, I it's do. Yes, definitely a bargain. So next time you're there, grab a bottle of this French market, French berry sparkling beverage here. Okay. I'm totally going to check that out. I do love Trader Joe's and I love to know what people have found there recently that they are into my problem when it, especially when it comes to drinks at Trader Joe's, I get so overwhelmed by all of the choices, right. both, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic that I tend to have just my little thing that I like to stick to. And right. my, I, I do get a drink every time at a Trader Joe's, but it's so boring. It's just kombucha. It's just okay. my GTS kombucha that I love that I've drank for years. I need to expand out. And you know, like for $3, who cares if you get a get it. And then you don't like right. it. It's just like, well, that was a $3 experiment right. that went wrong. And then your kids will drink it. I don't. Yes. Now this sounds like when you were just, when you were saying the name, uh -huh. I immediately thought of AJ because mm -hmm. she loves a berry lemonade mm -hmm. of any kind. So there you go. I think she would be totally into this. Good. Okay. Awesome. Well, we will put that with the full name so you all can be sure to check it out at your local Trader Joe's. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Okay. My awesome of the week this week, Emily, has to do with makeup. Okay. And I have not mentioned these to you at all. I actually was saving talking about them so that we could talk about them on the show. I did buy these a couple of weeks ago. Okay. okay. I got a new set of 
makeup brushes. Oh, good. Yes, because as we've touched on briefly on Sort of Awesome, for many, many, way too many years, I did not use a brush one except for maybe putting on blush. Yes. I did not use brushes at all. I would use my hands, fingertips, whatever, for putting on like foundation, concealer. Um, I would just use those little crappy little applicators that come with the eyeshadow palettes. (laughs) Yes. For way too long, I did that. And then you gradually introduced me to, and you were like, come on, it's, it's okay to grow up and and put on makeup with, with brushes, with real tools, (laughs) with real tools. Um, So you previously on the show have talked about how much you love Morphe brushes. Yes. And every, you know, most makeup companies have a line of makeup brushes. Well, I found this great set on Amazon that has like four and a half stars, which mm-hmm. is pretty great. It has over 7,000 reviews. Oh, wow. Four That's and a half a stars. Lot. So yeah, I was like, okay, so people are obviously into this set. It's from a company. I don't, it's most definitely made overseas. The company okay. is called, I think I thought it was supposed to be called like Be Small, but the the way the company's title is, it's B-S-M-A-L-L. So okay. maybe it's B-S <laughs> B-S why would you name your Why would you name your company that? Right. I don't know. Right. Okay. <laughs> but that's sure enough what they're called. B-S Mall. And, and that's what's on the, that's what's on the brushes too. Okay. So yes, be prepared for that. But okay. So for $9.99 on Amazon you get a 14-piece brush set. This has um, five bigger brushes that are all for like foundation, um, bronzer, blush, powder, all of the things. Some of them are round, some of them are flat, some of them are angled. They're really great for all the different applications that you would need a big brush for. And then you get like I don't know. It looks like maybe nine of the rest of the brushes. Those are all going to be for your smaller like details. So there's ones that you can use for eyeshadow. There's a concealer brush. There's one for, um, for your eyeliner, just all of the smaller things that you would need a makeup brush for. And again, there's so many of those. And I was like, well, I mean, for $10 though, what are we, what kind of quality are we really talking about? I was so skeptical at first, but I started reading through the reviews and so many people have said, don't get tripped up by the price. These are really as good as the top brands of brushes. There's such great brushes for the price. Um, and just people were raving and raving about what a great deal it is for these brushes. You get so many for $10. So, I have been using them for probably two weeks now. I will say that the foundation application ones are not my favorite. Mm-hmm. I have a, um, what's that company that you love? Real, Real Techniques. Techniques. Yes. Yes. Okay. I have a Real Techniques mm-hmm. um, foundation brush that I much, much, much prefer to this mm-hmm. new set. So I'm still, I, I haven't been using the foundation um, brushes from the, from the BS small ones. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that's a weird what it is. to say. 
but the powder and the um, like highlighter, bronzer brushes, the blush brush, all of those, that's mm-hmm. been fine. Basically anything, like like I said, I have just really preferred my Real Techniques for putting on, um, you know, something creamier like foundation. Right. But for blushes, anything that's powdery, these have been working fantastic. They are Good. great um, applicators. They give you a lot of product when you just, you know, swipe a little bit of your product up with these. And they have been really fantastic for eyeshadow application. You get so many different sizes. So if you want to experiment with creating some really detailed eye makeup looks, which I would love to, but frankly, I don't right. time <laughs> if I get one swipe of eyeshadow on You're in the lucky. morning, I am feeling really good yes. about myself. Um, the eyeliner applicator is fantastic. The eyeliner applicator also has a spoolie for your eyebrow or your lashes on the mm-hmm. other end of it. So it's kind of a dual purpose brush. But yeah, they're really great. I will say that the particular synthetic material that they use for the blush, uh, for, I'm sorry, for the brush part, it does need to be washed more often, which all of us, and we've talked about this, you and I have talked about, we should all probably be washing our brushes yes, more than we sure. do. And with this particular material, I think you'll, you'll find like, oh, I, it, these actually look like I need to wash them. So right. I think it's a good right. thing. Um, but I'm just really loving these. And Emily, yeah, $10 I mean, for a set I'm of I'm actually 14. looking at them right now. That is a lot of brushes. And that you're right about the eyeshadow yeah. brushes. There's so much of a variety that you can really do some mm-hmm. like really cool effects. So yeah. cool. Yeah. They're really, really great. So anyway, I will totally have a link in the show notes for these because they have really been a fun. I think if, especially if you're like me and you have never, you've not really had a lot of experience with brushes and then you go to Ulta, Sephora, or even to Walmart and you're looking at a brush set and you're like, I don't know if I want to spend that much money for something that I might end up hating. I think this is a really great bargain for getting a ton of brushes that you can kind of experiment with and play around with and see if it's going to work for you. So so yeah, those are the BS Mall makeup <laughs> brushes on Amazon. Uh, like I said, we will have links in the show notes for both Emily and I for our awesome of the week. And then over on Instagram, we would love for you to join us. If you're a, an Instagram person, you awesomes of Instagram, we'd love to have you come join us over there. Every Friday, we're talking about awesome of the week for you over there. And we also do that in our sort of awesome Facebook group. We open up the floor for you all to share with us what is awesome in your life. And if you haven't joined us in the Hangout community, you can do that by finding us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Awesomes, we all know that hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, you really need something that connects you to the right candidates when you need them. And that's when LinkedIn comes in. I mean, seriously, finding the most awesome person can have a huge impact on your business for years to come. I would totally trust LinkedIn to help me find just the right person because everybody I know who's a professional and expert or really excels in their career field is already on LinkedIn. In fact, over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to connect, learn, and grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. That's how LinkedIn can make sure your job post gets in front of the people that you want to hire. People with the right hard and soft skills that you're looking for. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will have a big and awesome impact on your business. 
and you guys, a hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. So with LinkedIn jobs, you can pay what you want. And the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash awesome. Again, that's linkedin.com slash awesome to get $50 off of your first job post terms and conditions do apply. Awesome's in a culture that is crowded with all kinds of big corporations and nameless brands. I am so excited to once again be partnering with Lola. Lola is a company founded by women for women because who knows women's bodies better than women themselves. When Lola founders Jordana and Alexandra discovered that the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products, they were really alarmed. So they created Lola, which offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. That's right. Major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products, including rayon and polyester. Those feminine care products can be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes, but not Lola. Lola products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. And their monthly subscription is fully customizable. So you can choose your mix of products, the mix of absorbency that you need, the number of boxes and the frequency of delivery. Lola's subscription is super flexible. You can change it, skip it, cancel it at any time. And Lola now offers cleaning wipes. They're safe for use anywhere on the body. They are the first biodegradable, all natural wipe of their kind. They are individually packaged and perfect for on the go. I have been a loyal and enthusiastic customer of Lola for years, and I would love for you awesomes to become one as well. So for 40% off of your first month's subscription, visit mylola.com and enter awesome 40 when you subscribe. That's 40% off of your first month subscription when you go to mylola.com and enter awesome and the number four zero when you subscribe. Thank you, Lola. Okay, Emily, we are back to true crime. Yes. We have some, 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 some things bad that have happened. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know anything about the case that you are going to be talking about today. You've only mentioned it to me just kind of in passing. So I am here to learn. I think I just told you his name and that's it, right? That's literally all you've told me is the name of the person that this case involves. So I'm, I have actually all week as we've been kind of like chatting back and forth a little bit about putting this episode together. I'm like, I can't wait to hear the story. So I'm just going to let you have the floor. You take it away. All right. So let me go ahead and start by saying that um, one of the reasons why I picked this case is because it happened in Texas. Where you live and have lived for many a year now. Yes, which is where I live. Um, This is a case out of San Angelo, Texas. So like in the um, western part of Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have never been like any, any place west of Fort Worth. What? No, I'm serious. I really haven't. I've not been to Lubbock how or long have you, El Paso. How no. long have you lived in Texas? A long time, since 2002. I'm oh so my God. Did you not know that? I guess we've never talked about no. it. I did not know that. Now, granted, Texas is a huge state. It is. It's a very big state. You can live a lot of your life just, you know, being in the in the central and obviously the eastern part of the state and then just never right. have need to go out to West Texas. So, right. Okay. I, yes. I get it. But I guess we've never yes. really <laughs> discussed that. Okay. Yes. So there's a lot about this story that I'm not really sure. Like there's some questions about like the terrain in okay. San Angelo in the middle of 
nowhere that I just, I don't know what it looks like. Yes. So that makes that's sense. why I thought I would bring that up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So San Angelo, Texas, um, this case happened on Thursday, August 8th of 2013. Okay. And a young man named Brandon Lawson, who was a 26 year old man, he went missing. Mm. He got in a fight with his longtime girlfriend who he lived with. Okay. And who he had three kids with. He got in a fight with her. He left their home. He called his dad, who um, actually lived in Crowley, Mm. which is by Fort Worth, Texas. Which is near Burleson, which is where I taught when I was teaching back in the day. Yes. And he said, I want to come stay with your mom. Um, Me and my girlfriend had a fight. And this was like, by the time that he had called his dad, it was like 1130 at night. Oh, wow. And he would have been making like over a three hour trip to his parents' house in Crowley. So his dad was like, no, it's late. Just, you know, don't come over. It's too late. Just go back home. I'm sure you guys will work it out. Mm -hmm. Well, so Brandon decides to go anyways. And at about 1230 in the morning, that morning, he calls his brother, Kyle. I think this, this story is really interesting because first of all, the main guy, the main guy that went missing, his name's Brandon. And that's our brother's name. Yes. And then his brother's name is Kyle. Yes, which is my husband's name. And that's your husband. This is a little weird. So, yeah. Okay. I'm going to be talking about Brandon and Kyle a lot. <laughs> it's a little surreal. Okay. <laughs> a little strange. Um, so Brandon calls Kyle at 1230 in the morning and says, hey, I need your help. I ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. And so during this phone call, he also says something about three people are chasing me. Oh. Um, Yeah, just randomly, like, three people are chasing me. And then his brother, Kyle, kind of asks, like, what? What are you talking about? And then Brandon says to Kyle, and this is a direct quote, the Mexicans in the neighborhood are running me out of town. Okay. And it was, like, at that moment that Kyle knew something was wrong. Yeah. Because Brandon didn't usually talk like that. Okay. And there were no people in, like, that in the neighborhood. Okay. So Kyle actually goes over to Brandon and um, his girlfriend's house. His girlfriend's name is Ladessa. Okay. And so Kyle goes over to Brandon and Ladessa's house and gets um, a gas can. He doesn't actually talk to Ladessa. Ladessa um, just left the gas can on the porch and mm. then just went to bed because mm-hmm. it was pretty late. Yeah. This is like well, the middle um, of the night, right? Yeah, absolutely. The middle of the night. Okay. So uh, his brother, Kyle, actually didn't go get gas. He um, was expecting to get paid overnight, like through direct deposit. Mm -hmm. And at that time in the night, the direct deposit wasn't available. So he didn't have any money Mm -hmm. and he didn't have any money on him. Um, So, but he went ahead and like found Brandon's truck, which I'll get to in just a minute. Okay. And I think it's kind of weird that he went ahead and, brought the gas can to him, even though it didn't have any gas in it. empty gas can. Okay. Right. And it comes out later that like, it was a good 30 miles to the next gas station. Hmm. So I don't know if he thought like Brandon was going to walk that distance to a gas station. I'm not sure. So that's kind of an interesting aspect of this. Right. So during that call, before he brings him the gas can, Kyle asks him like, are you okay? 
what's going on? And Brandon just, you know, blew him off and said, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I just, I need you to help me. You know, I just need gas. And I think Ladessa got these guys to chase me out of town. And Kyle just knew something was off. Mm-hmm. So Kyle pulls up to um, Brandon's truck. So the way that Brandon's truck was on the highway, so this was um, on Highway 277, just outside of San Angelo, like right before you get to a tiny little town called Bront, Texas. Okay. Um, And he pulls up to Brandon's truck and he doesn't see Brandon anywhere. And the truck is kind of off of the road, but kind of not like the front part of the truck is um, pulled off to the side of the road, but the back of it is still sticking out on the road. Hmm. So it's kind of like a traffic hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't see Brandon anywhere. There's no keys. Yeah. There's no wallet. There's nothing. And at about that time that Kyle pulls up to Brandon's truck, so does the state trooper. So the state trooper said, hey, we got a call from a truck driver saying that this car, you know, this truck was abandoned and in the road. He said, is this your truck? And Kyle said, no, this is my brother's truck. He ran out of gas. And so interestingly, when... Kyle is standing there talking to this police officer. Brandon calls him okay. and either, okay. Either Brandon calls him or he calls Brandon. I can't remember, but I okay. think Brandon calls him and Brandon says, I see you. You need to run from the police. What? I'm serious. I just got chills. So That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it came out like quite a lot later that, Brandon actually had an outstanding warrant okay. for some drug charges in the past. Um, I think the drug charges were like possession with intent to deliver or something like that. Okay. And he knew about the warrant that was out for his arrest and so did his brother, Kyle. So hindsight's always twenty twenty, but Kyle did not say to the police officer that was there, Hey, my brother can see us. He's on the phone. I'm on the phone with him. Like, He just didn't say anything to the police officer because he was trying to kind of um, protect his brother Mm. because he didn't, he just, he didn't want the police officer to know like, Hey, my brother ran out of gas and he also has a warrant out for his arrest. Right, 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 right. So I think, you know, going back, like um, I've listened to like quite a few interviews of Kyle talking about the case. And I think that he, you know, probably knows in hindsight that, you know, it probably would have been better for him to say, like, hey, I'm talking to my brother. He sees us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think he I don't no one knows where he was. Um, there's a lot of speculation that maybe he was just like in the fields. And this is kind of where like the terrain comes up that I, you know, I'm not familiar with. Right. But I guess it's like a lot of brush and trees and I don't know, tumbleweeds. And, you know, just um, it's just very strange. Yeah. Um, so. The officer, you know, just says, well, you know, if, if your brother doesn't come back, we're going to have to tow the truck. And, you know, Kyle's like, okay. So Kyle puts the gas can, the empty gas can um, in his truck. And the, so I didn't mention this before, but there were two people with Kyle. It was Kyle's wife. I think her name was Audrey. And then their son, who at the time was four years old. Um, so it was really late at night. So, um, and Kyle's son was like, crying and hungry. So they all went back home. Yeah. Actually, before that, he actually, like when the police officer drove off, he actually went um, a little bit further up the road and just sat there. Cause like he thought that Brandon would come back once the police officer was gone. Right, 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 right. 
Yeah. And he sat there for like 30 minutes and Brandon didn't come back. And he just thought, man, this is weird. But he was like, you know what? I got to get my home, my son home. Um, and then I'll come back out here. Was, was he like trying, do you know if he was like trying to call or text his brother? Like, Oh yes. So it's not a really good area. Yeah. It's in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure. Right. It's totally in the middle of the nowhere. In fact, a lot of people have said you could be in this area. Like you could be on this highway that they were on lay down in the middle of the road and not worry about getting run over. It's so desolate. Well, that's, I mean, I was going to say, that's the thing about West Texas in general is it's very sparsely populated. There are definitely long stretches of highway where, yeah, it's, it's very, very desolate terrain. That's a good way to describe it. And I guess during this timeline, it's really weird because Brandon Kept call, they just kept playing phone tag. Like Kyle and his wife kept trying to call Brandon. Brandon would call and like say two words and then hang up. And then sometimes like they just couldn't hear anything that he was saying. And then also another um, another thing that I forgot to say was when the deputy was talking to Kyle, he said, like Kyle said, I'm going to go look for him. Well, the deputy said, don't come where I came from because I didn't see him walking on the road. And Kyle had come from the opposite way. And of course, Kyle didn't see him walking on the road either. So Kyle really thought that, you know, he was just in the field hiding from the police officer. So anyways, like I said, um, you know, he drove up a little bit to where he could still see Brandon's truck, you know, waited, didn't find him. So he took his son home and his wife home and he got back to the to the scene of the truck about 5 a.m. Wow. So he was out literally all night, literally all night looking for him. Yes. And something else that happened that Kyle and Brandon's wife, Ladessa, didn't even know about till at least a month later. The aspect of this case that I'm about to tell you about is like really what the whole case is centered on because it's so mysterious. There's so many interpretations of it. It's just crazy. So at about 1250 a.m., Brandon called 911. The 911 call basically... Um, it's, it's very fast. Brandon is talking crazy fast. He kind of mixes up his words. There's other stuff going on in the tape and in the background that you can't just, you just really can't tell what it is. Right. So through my research of this case, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Nick and the captain from true crime garage. Yes. Uh huh. Well, they initially covered this case in episode 85 and 86, and they did a fantastic job of breaking this 911 tape down. They okay. actually slowed it down and played it at different speeds several times and kind of explained what was going on and talked about it and stuff. So how about we go ahead and play that clip right here? 2013, 0, 50 and 38 seconds. 911 emergency. Yeah, I'm in the middle of the field. The tape, we're just searching guys over. Right here going towards guys, went on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. I checked it to the woods. 2030. Okay, 
I'm glad that you listened to someone walk you through it because I need you to walk me through right. it now. Yes. It's insane. And Megan, you can go down a rabbit hole for like a year trying to figure out what he's saying, like based on everything yes. you know that people say on the internet. It is insane. Oh my gosh. Okay. Walk me through what you have kind of extrapolated from all these sources. Okay. Of what, like literally like what do some people think he's saying? Right. Okay. So I think he says, yes, I'm, I'm in the middle of a field. Staper just pushed through, pull some guys over right here, going towards Abilene on both sides. Truck ran out of gas. There's one car here, got taken into the woods. Please hurry. And then oh the 911, yeah. And then the 911 operator says, okay, run that by me. And she tries to say, like, one run that by me one more time. And he says, blank, not talking to him. Either we're not talking to him or I'm not talking to them. Blank, yeah. blank totally ran to them, ran into them, or told you I ran into them. And then the 911 operator goes, Oh, you ran into him. Okay. And Brandon says, either yes, the first guy, or just the first guy. And then she says, do you need an ambulance? And then someone or Brandon says, yeah. And then he says, no, I need the cops. Emily, I'm freaking out. I it's know. the middle of the day. It's the middle I of the know. day. I am listening to this and I like have full body chills and I'm freaking out. Yes, I'm glad now, now do you know why I picked this story? Yes. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Okay. okay. So that's so, like that's the crux of the mystery of this that case. That is the meat of this story. Yeah. And I'm guessing that is I mean something bad happened, right? Something bad happened. No one's like after that like his people that kept trying to call him um the calls started going to to voicemail like really early in the morning around 2 or 3 and okay. there's nothing. The biggest theory that I think was first um like a lot of people thought when this case first came out that like this was a police cover-up and some like he saw something that police were doing and so they had to shut him up and blah 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 blah. Okay. Um because he says in the beginning of that 911 call he says the word staper. There was first there were people thinking that he was actually saying the word staper which is a slang word, which I don't even know if this is still true anymore, but some people said that that's a slang word for someone who works in the middle of an oil field, like so for okay. someone who's an oil field worker. Sure. Um, and I think that was kind of debunked. And so I think it's pretty much a common opinion now that he was trying to say state trooper, but he mixed those two words together and said staper. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he was obviously pretty frantic and manic yes. when he was yeah. speaking. Like it's, so. it's clear that he's distressed. Yes. We just don't Very know. Clear. Like we just, no one knows what it was about. So right. are you ready for the monkey wrench? Wait, hang on. Cause I am like still processing here. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this 911 call comes in. Yes. And that, and he's talking about in the car being taken off into the woods. Yes. Okay. And so one theory, one theory is that something was happening with law enforcement. To, so to go back to when Kyle was talking to the law enforcement who met right. him where the truck right. was. And this he is said, where don't bother, don't bother going back. 
because I just right. came from this way and I didn't right. see him. Don't don't bother going back the way I came from because I didn't see him walking on the road. Okay. And Kyle didn't see him walking from the way he came, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, walking um, in the same direction that he came driving from, pulling up to yeah. Brandon's truck. Interestingly, uh, Kyle and the deputy did not know when they were at his truck that Brandon had called 911. In fact, they didn't find out about it. Like I said, they didn't find out about it until um, his girlfriend, Ladessa, was looking at Brandon's phone bill later on, like, you know, at least a month later when she found the phone bill or she got the phone bill and realized that he had called 911 and then they got the tape for it. Yeah. In fact, like, it's very weird that like he had just 30 or 40 minutes before he talked to Kyle, he didn't mention, Hey, I called 911. You know, right. I didn't mention anything that he said to the 911 dispatcher. He didn't say to his brother that, but he did tell his brother to run or get out of there. He said, run away from the police or something like get away from that cop or something. Right. Which is interesting because he called 911 looking for cop. Like he said, no, I need the cops. Yeah. But then oh my when he gosh. saw the cop talking to his brother at his truck, he was like, run away from them. Oh my gosh. So you're telling me there's another twist in this case. There's another I've already, twist. I'm already fully case. twisted. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it comes out later that earlier in the week, Brandon had interviewed for a job and I don't know what the job was, but he had taken a drug test mm-hmm. and passed it. And then I guess, I don't know, this kind of sounds weird, but like, it's kind of true to celebrate. He went ahead and like bought some meth and got high. Okay. Yeah. And that is actually what he and his girlfriend, his uh, girlfriend, you know, like 10 years, what he and Ladessa got in an argument about. Was because he had. Yeah. Because, yeah, because he had scored some. Was using drugs and gotten high again. He wasn't like necessarily an addict or had a drug quote unquote problem, but he would go like six months and not use drugs. And then he would just like do meth for a day or two. And then, okay. He would be sober to to living his life. Yeah. Okay. And then he would be sober for an extended period of time and then do it again. And it was just really weird. And so I guess Ladessa found out that he was doing meth again and they had this big fight and so that Wednesday, August 7th, he actually hadn't come home that night. And then when he, when he showed back up at the house on Thursday, August 8th, that's when Ladessa, like, I guess, found out that he was doing drugs again. And that's um, when they got in that big fight and he wanted to go to his parents' house in Crowley. Okay. So so is there a possibility, though, that he still had some meth and he was Yes. High? In fact, his brother Kyle has come out and said, I don't think he was high. I know he was because... Kyle like hooked him up with someone who had it. Oh gosh. Yeah. And that, that wasn't even like known when the case first came out. Um, okay. But Kyle, you know, was the one that like hooked him up with a person who knew someone, mm. whatever. And so he knew that he was high. So it's like now that that, like once that came into play, like it's so, it makes so much more sense now The the 911 hate us because obviously he was hallucinating about something. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you told me that because my next question was going to be, do we think aliens were involved? (laughs) Right? It's just so crazy. (laughs) What's wrong with, what does it say about me? (laughs) I was like, well, obviously aliens. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But a much more reasonable explanation is that he was high. Okay. All right. I'm tracking. 
Okay. So obviously this this is still a missing persons case. Is uh, that absolutely, right? like, yes. Okay. Some people think that Kyle knows more than he's saying. Okay. But Kyle admits, like, Kyle's had some drug problems too. And he was actually locked up in prison for okay. a long part of the time. Like, you know, this happened in, like, uh, late summer, early fall of 2013. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, in prison. Kyle, his brother, was in prison for quite a quite a while. And then when he got out, he kept wanting to, like, he wanted to, like, reopen the case and keep talking about it. And so, like, really, this is a popular case. But I mm. think it's popular because the 911 call is so mysterious and yeah. his brother Kyle and Ladessa are trying to keep it, you know, still going. And I think that they feel like, well, you know, once it came out that Brandon was high and was using meth, like people just kind of wanted to blow it off and be like, well, okay. he was just another drug user. Who cares? Like it still matters like what happened to him. And right. it's still so much mystery because literally there's nothing else. There's the 911 tape and that's it. He never showed back mm. up anywhere. And so a lot of people think, oh, he just started a new life. He, you know, he wanted to get away from his kids and his girlfriend. And he just wanted to just start a new life with a new girl or a new woman. But like, there's no evidence that points to that. Well, I've heard, I'm not, I'm not as well-versed in true crime circles as you are, yeah. but I've heard on a number of podcasts that I've listened to that deal with crime, that it's actually a lot harder to completely disappear and restart your life than you would think that it would be. Yeah. You have to have like cash. You have to have cash like stashed in places. It's, yeah, it's insane. I mean, but think about how many video cameras are just in like the area that you stay in, like, you know, the the Walmart you go to, the schools you go to, like, it's just, it's, it's so hard. Right. Okay. Well, tell us where we can find out some more if we do want to go completely down the rabbit hole on okay. this case. Tell, tell us where we can find more about it. Okay. Like I was talking about, um, Nick and the captain, they did an awesome job in episode 85 and 86 of their podcast, True Crime Garage. Those episodes are kind of older, so you have to find those on the Stitcher app. Okay. But they did an update. I think it wasn't that long ago in episode 233. Okay. They did an update on that. And also, um, have you heard of Tim, of Tim and Lance, the missing Laura Marie? I mean, I know we talked oh, about yeah, Laura yes. Yeah. So Tim and Lance um, address it in one of their episodes. They actually talked to Kyle for quite a bit about, you know, what happened that night and what Kyle remembers. So we'll go ahead and put that episode in the show notes. Um, it's a great episode. For sure. You can go on YouTube. You can go on Reddit. I mean, this story is everywhere. Okay. Awesomes, I'm here to confess that I am one of those girls who's constantly trying to sneak into fall clothing before it's actually cool enough to wear it. But this year, I really can't help myself. I have been snuggling up in the ultra soft plaid fringe scarf from Plush that came in my FabFitFun fall 2019 box. It's basically my new favorite thing. You guys know that FabFitFun is a women's lifestyle subscription box and it's filled with full-size premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and wellness products. It's all sent straight to your doorstep each season. FabFitFun takes the hassle out of shopping by doing it for you, and each box is customized to your specific interests. They've got all the fall goodies you could possibly need. I know so many of us awesome spend all day thinking about how we can take care of other people in our life, 
But when that FabFitFun box shows up on your doorstep and you open it, trust me, it's all about taking care of you. And something I love about FabFitFun is that their boxes are really customizable. You can pick out the things that you know you're going to be into. It really is such a fun treat. I love it any time of the year. And I know you're going to want to get in on these boxes before they sell out. FabFitFun boxes retail for $49.99, but they always have a value of over $200. I mean, talk about treating yourself well every single season. You awesomes can use coupon code SORTA AWESOME for $10 off of your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Again, that's going to be $10 off of your fall FabFitFun box when you go to www.fabfitfun.com and enter coupon code SORTA AWESOME. Awesomes, you've heard me talk so many times about my undying love for Kapari's aluminum free coconut deodorant. It goes on clear, which is so nice for your clothes, but also it's going to keep you smelling fresh and clean no matter what your day throws at you. So I wanted to let you know that they've got an amazing new scent called Driftwood. It's the first charcoal deodorant from Kapari. Now you know that I love the original coconut deodorant. They also have the beach and gardenia scents and the fragrance-free version. But Kapari's new driftwood scent smells like sandalwood and cedarwood. It has middle notes of zesty clove. It's made with activated charcoal, which works to draw out sweat and toxins and absorb odor-causing bacteria. I mean, it does everything that you want your deodorant to do. And this driftwood scent is the perfect scent to take you right on into fall. Remember that Kapari's coconut deodorant is a cleaner alternative to traditional deodorants. It is aluminum-free, vegan. It does not contain silicone, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, or baking soda. Instead, this deodorant just keeps you fresh with plant-based actives like sage, oil, and coconut oil. And listen, if you've got sensitive skin or if you just don't want a bunch of questionable ingredients on your body, it's perfect for you. Best of all, you never have to worry about running out of deodorant because you can get Kapari automatically shipped to you as often as you choose for free. Plus, Kapari offers a money-back guarantee. So go to kaparibeauty.com awesome to save $5 off of your first deodorant order when you subscribe. That's kapari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com awesome. Kaparibeauty.com awesome. <sighs> that was intense. Yes. Okay. I feel like my story in some ways is not as intense as that, Okay, but there definitely are a lot of question marks. And Emily, you have listened to what I have listened to about this case. So yes. you can kind of help me if I, if I miss some of the major points of this. Okay. Also, Awesomes, I do want you to know that baby Nico has joined the recording. If you haven't heard him already, <laughs> sniffling and snorting, he's supposed to be napping. So now he's napping in my trusty happy baby carrier. Aww. So he's going to hit, this is his first exposure to true crime. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. At, at just shy of three months old, yes. he's bound to be a true crime junkie of like course. the rest of us. Of okay. Course. Okay. So here is the story that I want to tell you. This is about the death of Alexander Stevens. Mm -hmm. Now, Almost, I will say from the beginning, almost everything I know about the death of Alexander Stevens comes from the podcast series, Big Savage, The Death of Alexander Stevens, mm -hmm. which is produced by Chromatic Media. So Chromatic Media is a, um, you know, sort of an independent production group out of Morgantown, West Virginia. The project is spearheaded by J. Kendall Parkinson. They do have another limited series true crime podcast called Merid and Karen, the WVU co-ed murders. And that one also is supposed to be excellent. I think Big Savage is fantastic. And, and this other one on Merid and Karen is supposed to be good, but I have not listened to it. Have you listened no, to No, I haven't. I keep 
hearing the pro well, I was, you know, I was reviewing Big Savage last week and I kept hearing the promo for it. Yes. And I was like, I have got to listen to this. Yes. So Big Savage was released last spring. It has definitely got a lot of attention in true crime circles, but I feel like if you aren't plugged into the true crime world, you might've missed it because it was not put out there by one of the sort of major production companies. So I wanted to talk um, a little bit about this case because there are some really interesting, bizarre aspects to it. Um, And I want to talk in a few minutes about how Chromatic Media handled the case, but let's get to it. So um, Alexander Stevens, um, who was 24 and he was found dead at the bottom of a cliff called High Rock that's located in the Savage Ridger. That's not going to say that. <laughs> the- <laughs> We're just all tongue-tied today. I know. The Savage River State Forest in Western Maryland. And his body was found in the morning of January 4th of 2017, just to kind of give you some context. So this is a fairly recent mm-hmm. case. When he was found, he was completely naked and his throat was cut. So obviously something bad happened. This case is so bizarre and so fascinating, but at the heart of it, of course, it is very sad because a young man died. Someone who was a son and a brother, a friend died under some very strange and tragic circumstances. Obviously. Okay. So the timeline starts here with um, when Alexander Stevens family realized that he was missing and they started to get concerned. Um, A friend of the family, a friend of Alex's, a friend of the family named Stephen Moon just decided to go and look for Alex. And this was the night of January 3rd. So around 11 that night, he found the Hyundai Elantra and a Nissan that were in a parking lot at a trailhead that leads up to where you would hike up to this high rock area. It was later confirmed that those cars that that Stephen Moon found that night belonged to both Alex. And then the other car belonged to a friend of Alex's named Megan Schaefer, who was 20 at the time. So Alex, Alex is 24. Megan Schaefer is 20. Um, The friend of the family finds their cars where you would park to go hike up to High Rock. And this was, you know, this was late at night at this point when he found their cars up Mm -hmm. there. The keys were in the car. It was turned to the auxiliary positions and the lights were on and the radio was playing at 11 at night when he found it. And there was a cell phone in the back seat. And then Stephen said that Alex's vehicle, the hood was popped open and that his car was covered with some kind of chemical Mm -hmm. all over it and that there was a bottle of motor oil on the roof. So um, he, he started hiking up the one mile trail that leads up to high rock. And he eventually found this spot up on high rock that had where candles had been burning. He also found a live cat in a cage up there, which that's weird, yes, right? very weird. Very strange. Well, the next morning around 7.30 in the morning, 911 in the area gets a, a phone call from what they first, the 911 dispatch first thought was mm-hmm. a child saying that um, she had fallen off a cliff and kind of gave some more vague details that she was with somebody and that that person mm-hmm. had died. 
um, she was in a house that was not her house. She had found a sort of not abandoned house, but like an unoccupied right. residence that was out yeah. somebody's home, but she had found her way in um, that she was mm-hmm. naked freezing. and um, in freezing and that she was injured, that she couldn't move. So she found some mail inside this house because she had no idea where she was and then was able to tell the dispatcher the address of where the, this house that she had mm-hmm. broken into. And again, when the 911 dispatch was taking the call, they reported that it sounded like a child. And this was kind of what they were giving the information they initially were giving to law enforcement. Well, it turns out it was Megan mm-hmm. Schaefer, who's 20, yeah. who was in a very deep state of right. distress. She was um, suffering from hypothermia. Mm-hmm. She also was naked. And honestly, when you listen to that 911 call that she made, she does sound like a little girl. So it's not surprising that they said they thought it was a little girl. Yes, it really does. And an interesting thing about this case is there's very little, um, how can I say this? There's very little live audio in in terms of like interviews and those types of things. It is mostly the hosts of the podcast retelling the story um, and retelling the events to us right. as we're listening, which is, you know, Emily, this is a murder case. And sometimes I can handle those. So sometimes I can't, but big savage was actually really easy for me to listen to because mm-hmm. of that format, because it is a lot of the hosts telling this really great storytelling. Yes. Very well done, very well written, very well done. But this is when they did eventually get the uh, recording of the nine one one call, and they do play it in, as part of the podcast. And it is it's a little disturbing, don't you think? Oh, definitely, definitely. And another aspect that I thought was interesting was um, his his co host uh, Sarah, and then the other reporter Teresa. They mm-hmm. were telling, yes, they were telling um, like what they learned in the trial, like. A lot of what they were telling, they just learned in the trial and they were talking about what they learned yes. when they were, you know, there listening to it. Right. And we'll get to why there was a trial in just a minute, because what we ultimately find out, Megan is obviously in distress. She's naked. She's injured. She's hypothermic. She ends up being in the hospital for a month after mm-hmm. law enforcement found her in this home. So she ends up telling them that. They, that she and Alex, well, her story changes a few times, but the Mm -hmm. gist of her story was that she and Alex, that Alex wanted to kill himself and that he had basically kind of talked her into going along with it. And they had gone up to High Rock to jump off of the cliff, which is a very, gosh, like there's a lot of ways to die by suicide. And when people are in this mind frame, it's Mm -hmm. not like they're thinking logically, but this is not your typical thing that you would think this is how I'm going to die. Yeah. And the cliff was only 25 to 30 feet high. Yeah. I think 33 feet is what I saw in a few places. Yeah. And also it wasn't, it was like not the kind of cliff that you would jump off of in like hit the ground immediately. It seems like they kind of bounced a few times on the way down. Yes. They both had significant injuries, significant that Megan told them that they had taken their clothes off before they jumped off of the cliff and that she could not remember much of what had happened. 
so besides her injuries from exposure, like she had frostbite, like I said, she had a broken shoulder and had possible broken back. There was just like a lot of injuries, of course, that you would think you would sustain after this. So they both survived the fall. Both of them were alive Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the cliff. Mm -hmm. They start walking into the woods. And again, the details are really fuzzy because she can't remember a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately she says that Alex, um, either put a knife in her hand or she had the knife, a knife mm-hmm. and that Alex took her hand and f- basically forced her to cut his throat. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately this is how he died and that she, you know, after having gone through all of this and all of this trauma, she realized that she did not want to die. And then she was able to sort of, slowly and in a great deal of pain. And she talks about as they were walking through the woods together, that she was screaming and crying again, both of them just had these really significant injuries. Um, but that she realized that she did not want to die. And that's how she was able to then eventually make her way to this house and call for help. Also some other strange things around that were the fact that earlier that day he had gone over to his parents' house. He has a twin sister who was there at his parents' house. Um, He told his sister that he was going to take the family dog and take it for a walk. Well, that dog was later found at a local cemetery, Mm -hmm. just randomly out there with, with nobody with it. This is January in Western Maryland up in the mountains. It is cold. Mm -hmm. So we have these things with the animals. Megan later reports that earlier that day, Alex had cut her on her back and some other places around her body and had carved a cross into her back. But throughout what later becomes a court trial, because eventually Megan is actually charged with Alex's murder. I can't remember if it was both murder and a charge of assisted suicide. Do you remember that? It was like four charges. Yes. It was like first degree murder or second degree murder, um, assisted suicide, manslaughter. The charges ran the gamut of what the jury could have found her guilty with. Exactly. So there was, she testifies that he had carved a cross into her back. Some of the other people who testify in the case reported this, but there was no evidence. Like they did not have pictures of this. There was no pictures from the hospital. You know, like I said, she was in the hospital for a month. Mm -hmm. Um, There was no pictures in the hospital. Somebody looked on her private, on her Instagram. And there's a picture of her after this, after the whole incident at High Rock, there's a picture of her. Cause she was like really into um, like weightlifting and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there was a picture of her in, in her sports bra, you could see that she's wearing a sports bra. Um, and I guess it was from the, from behind somehow. And there was no evidence of even with a sports bra on of being able to see a cross carved into her back. Right. So there, that was like a huge question mark about like what actually happened between these two. And one thing that the case does, um, I'm sorry, one thing that the podcast does in big savage is they really unravel what is going on in the lives of these two people before this took place. Like, how did they get up to, how did they find themselves in a position where they're up in the mountains, in this state park, 
and have decided to kill themselves by jumping off a cliff, but then only one of them dies. Like it's so crazy and mysterious. Yeah. So one thing that had happened is a few years before Alex jumped off of this cliff, he had been forced out of the U S coast guard prior to entering the coast guard. He like, that was all he wanted to do. He had his sight set on it. He worked really hard um, and was really just determined to be in the coast guard. Well, there was an incident. So he, I think he entered the coast guard like in 2010, after he graduated from high school, he entered the coast guard Academy. Then in 2013, there was a thing that happened one night where a female cadet accused Alex of coming into her room while she was asleep, reaching under the blanket and basically groping her. Mm -hmm. Now, Alex maintains maintained at the time he was drunk. He thought he was in his girlfriend's room. Um, and that, but then it was, a, it was all a mistake and that he apologized, but at the same time, and he was like deliberating what he should do. Right. His dad told him, you, you gotta tell, you gotta tell your, you know, the, your officers that this happened. Right. So he did the female cadet ended up bringing him up on charges mm -hmm. and, Ultimately, he was kicked out of the academy. And apparently that was just completely, completely devastating to him. And he had never really psychologically and emotionally recovered from being kicked out of the Coast Guard Academy because this was like his big dream in life to do this. So in the meantime, so that was in 2014 when he was disenrolled from the academy. And again, we're talking about events in the first week of January of 2017. So in that time, he had gotten really into this idea of enlightenment and kind of like, I don't know, Emily, like metaphysics. I don't know how to describe quantum physics. He was yes. working with a quote unquote therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was working with a therapist who also was into this theory of basically it like looks at multiverse uh, theory mm -hmm. where there's this idea that we have a lot of different versions of ourselves right. and that if you die in this universe, it may, you may ascend to a different universe. Right. Uh, if where you make you decisions, live a different life. Yeah. If you make decisions, in this life, in another universe, there's there's uh, a, a you that makes the different decision, and then that you lives on in a different way. It's all very odd. Yes. So he had gotten really, really, really into this mindset. And then a week before his death, Alex authorized a wire transition to close out funds that he had in an Edward Jones account that was about $188,000. And he had signed and created paperwork that all of that money was to go to Megan, mm -hmm. which is one of the biggest like question marks of the case. Right. Why did he name Megan the beneficiary of that account with all of that money in it? And it took place so close to his right. death. So there are a lot, a lot, a lot more details of this case that you can listen to in Big Savage. But Emily, I just wanted to like process with you okay. a little bit 
and and tell me if you think I left out any of the main points of this case, because ultimately what happens again, like Megan is brought up, she's charged with all of these different things. She's ultimately convicted of second degree murder and is sentenced to, and is currently serving a 30 year sentence mm -hmm. for the murder of Alex Stevens. Right. So like, what do you think? Do you really, what's going do on you really want to know what I think? I do want to, I want to hear okay. what you think. I think that she was brainwashed by him. That's okay. what I think. I think that, um, and I know this is like going to be like such a, not a popular opinion, an unpopular opinion, but I think that like in some way, like he convinced her to kill him. And I know that sounds crazy and you know, people have free well, will, but like when you're brainwashed and she, you know, I, um, he also kind of sexually assaulted her, like not, not in the traditional right. sense, but he did, there was some mutilation. So, you know, I feel like, um, just based on what her friend said about her and, um, you know, what, um, the parent of the other young lady said about her in the end and said about Alex in the end, you know what I'm talking right. about without giving it away. Well, I mean, I think we can talk about just briefly talk about that. It comes out in the very last episode mm -hmm. of the podcast mm -hmm. that Alex had had um, an inappropriate sexual relationship with a girl who was 14 at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was like 20. Yeah. Eight, yeah. Some 18, 19, 20. He was definitely above 18. Yeah, he definitely had graduated from high yes. school um, and it had a sexual relationship, which was um, in in Maryland. And, it, and I think probably most states is considered statutory. Right. Rape, and that there was a very imbalanced sort of power dynamic mm -hmm. between the two of right. them. And again, she was 14. Oh. She's like Daisy's right. age. There's that. So he does seem to have a history mm -hmm. of almost, I hate to use this word and it's difficult to use this word when you're talking about somebody who's died, but almost some predatory right. behaviors. Right. So some theories are that he both was truly so mentally disturbed and, and never recovered from um, being kicked out of the, um, the coast guard. Plus his dad was battling cancer mm -hmm. and he was very upset by that that he had decided I'm going to kill myself in this life so that I can, you know, I will still be alive in a different life. And that he basically said, I'll pay you $188,000. I'll give you every cent that I have. If you'll help me right, do this. Right. Can we talk about his parents for a second? Can we specifically talk about his dad for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Go for because it. like his dad and, and, and um, Alexander's, twin sister, Tristan, like they knew that he was depressed and suicidal. Yes. Right. But then yes. After the death, they were like, no, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't right. he was not suicidal. They were, they were steadfast in that opinion. Exactly. Exactly. They talk about on the podcast that nobody in his life really seemed that surprised when it came out, when the first version of the story came out that he right. had committed suicide, like nobody was shocked because he right. had, because his behaviors, in fact, wasn't there, didn't his family at one point have to get a restraining order against him? Yeah, they did because like, uh, he broke into their house or they were afraid he was going to break into their house or something like that. Yeah. Like they told Tristan, if Alexander comes here, call the police. Yes. 
he was very, very, very mentally unwell for sure. Right. Right. But then after he died and especially I think it's because of that money, mm-hmm. the family just sort of like circled the wagons and mm-hmm. would maintain, no, he was doing better. He was doing well. He was mm-hmm. over his past depression and all of these things. Um, and then didn't really did not want anybody to speak about any of the struggles that he was having right. in the court case for sure. Right. I guess the whole thing about this case that is so fascinating to me is Megan maintains that he took her hand right. to ultimately kill himself with the right. knife at yeah. his throat. Mm-hmm. And it's like such a question of ultimately, can somebody be forced mm-hmm. to kill another person? Yeah. And yeah. again, there's the, the jury, when they came back, they kept saying, we just think there were so many times that she could have walked away. Mm-hmm. I think that her attorney did a terrible job oh, of representing did. the trauma that she had been through. Yes. And what their dynamic was in their relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that she had a really, really, really poor representation with her attorney. Absolutely. Um, and that that was not taken into consideration. And then also he let her testify. Right. Which allowed her to be her- cross-examined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... The jurors thought that her demeanor in court was very. She just had an attitude. Yeah. She had an attitude on the stand um, when the prosecutor was like looking at her notes. She would like roll her eyes and sigh and take a drink of water. Like she just, she just, I don't know if like she didn't know what she was doing or she wasn't prepared to be cross-examined by the prosecutor. Like it was just, it was a big mess. Like if it were me, I would say go back and appeal because of ineffective assistance of counsel. It was just awful. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, there are so many other aspects of this case that we don't have time to cover. I mean, right. Big Savage was, is like eight episodes of coverage of this. So, right. And we're just trying to cover it in a few minutes. So I will definitely link to that and to Chromatic Media where you can go and check this out for yourself because... Oh my gosh, there's just, there's so many things that, there's so many unanswered questions for this case. Sure. So, anyway, and here's Megan now serving 30 years of jail time, of prison time yeah. for being convicted in this. So, right. it is interesting. So, okay, guys, something bad has happened in both of these cases for yes, sure. Definitely. Um, we would love to hear your feedback on this. We'd also like to hear too what other true crime you're into. And if you think that it's, you know, that there are other cases out there that can be, um, you know, for sensitive people that they can still handle listening to it. It's not going to be too upsetting. Right. Um, so Emily, tell people where we can find you on social media for anybody who wants to follow up. All right. I'm on Instagram at Emily34331. And I'm also very active in the sort of awesome hangout group over on Facebook. Okay. You can find me at Sorta Awesome Meg on social media. Don't forget the show is on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show and we're on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. Um, If you guys would like to hear, we got so much great feedback over our first edition of Something Bad Happened. I hope you all enjoyed this episode too. If you want to hear more of Emily and I talking true crime in a way that's not too upsetting, let Mm -hmm. us know and we can plan some more episodes of Something Bad Happened for Sorta Awesome. So be sure to let us know what you think. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, and we'll see y'all next time. 
Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer, and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer, and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.